Guys, Please take all of that out. <laughs> I cannot have that in. I have, I have an image to uphold. <laughs> Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap. I watched Heathers for the first time, and Amanda, what did you watch? I watched Juice. We watched a couple movies about teens getting into some crime. We, I feel like we came up with a lot of commonalities that they have. Um, another one is a uh, one-word movie title. Another one is uh, movies about friends. Movies about friends where all of them slowly die. Movies about accidental murder, which I guess is homicide. I don't know, law. Movies where you think your friend is a good guy, but he's a murderer. (laughs) Movies in which both of us said, oh shit, someone died. (laughs) Movies in which neither of us knew the crime was murder. (laughs) In the theme, teen crime. (laughs) I really thought they were going to rob those kids. Anyway... Um, before we get into all of that, how are you doing? What have you been watching? <laughs> I'm doing well. Things are good over here. Um, I've seen, I went to the theaters. And I saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Classically, we support women's rights, but we also support women's wrongs. Um, <laughs> are you not on that side of the internet? Have you never heard that? <laughs> No, but you know what? I'm there with it. We're doing something about that movie today, so yeah. or about that theme today. So yeah, I mean, Sam Raimi made a Marvel movie. I had a blast. Like, is it the top five Marvel movie that's ever been made? No, but like, did I have a good time? Because like, Sam Raimi likes to make zombie movies. Absolutely. So I liked it. I also watched um, a movie on Hulu. There's a movie called Run. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, if you like cases like the Gypsy Rose case. True crime people will know what that means. You'll like Run. Is this separate from the HBO Max show that you liked, also titled Run? Yes. Um, Merritt okay. Weaver is not in this, and there is significantly less nefarious things happening in the HBO show and significantly less sex on trains happening in the Hulu movie. <laughs> hmm, I might be out, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> I would say sex on trains is more fun. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I've just been, you know, it's starting to get hot. I'm starting to want to spend more and more time inside, which is to me is time to rewatch a show I've already watched and I really love. Um, so I'm on season three of Grey's Anatomy again. Just something where I, I know what's going to happen. That's nice. That's what I like. How many times have you watched Grey's Anatomy? This is my second time all the way through. I watched the whole thing when we were in high, when we were in college. And then I watched like the first season a couple times. But then I like gotcha. get, I like drop out. But now I'm like invested. I'm I'm at the point of like binging where like I move my laptop around with me as I like go do things. I like can't brush my teeth without like watching what happens next in a show I've already seen. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you just been, so basically what you've been watching is Doctor Steamy. What is it Doctor McSteamy, Doctor McDreamy, and Doctor Strange? Yes, all the doctors. Okay. <laughs> what have you been watching? Well, first. Uh, uh, I, I'm also doing good. And also, we have seen each other in the last week. So exciting. Um, just to update the listeners, which is people who already know that we've seen each other. Um, and then a few others. We saw Phoebe Bridgers, our skeleton queen. It was beautiful. Shouts the Phoebes. Shouts the moon. 
We like saw her. Shout out to the moon. Saw her under a beautiful moon. She played moon song. I cried. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Went with our our good bud. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, Doctor Strange 2, seen that. That was great. Um, Mamma Mia. I watched that for the first time. It's a good one. What an incredible movie. It's a good one. That's a rip roaring time. I've never. I know the consensus, at least within like our film group chat, is that Ocean's Eleven is probably the most fun people have ever had on set. Yeah. But I think Mamma Mia has to be up there. I think um, just like Greek alcohol helps a lot, but it is really fun. <laughs> I that it just seems like a great time. I have no relationship to Abba's music, and now, I now still loved it. Yeah. Um, I also watched Mamma Mia 2, which is less good. Um, so, And then I also watched this movie that was on Netflix, um, but it was an older movie called The Quick and the Dead, 90s film starring Sharon Stone, Leonardo DiCaprio, Russell Crowe, directed by Sam Raimi. Damn. The, the movie is pretty good. It's like a Western shoot 'em up There's like a quick draw tournament situation. Um, if you need something you don't need to think about very much in a movie that's like just okay, um, but you just want to pass the time. It's fun to see young Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, always. I, I will say that. Leo plays the always in a Western character named The Kid. So <laughs> Classic. Um, yeah. You know, there's always The Kid. Anyway, speaking of kids, let's talk about the movies we're swapping. Um, <laughs> I watched it. Heather's. You watched Juice. We watched Juice together. That's true. The first time we as podcast co-hosts have watched a film together. <laughs> so exciting. Um, I... I think you had you were like doing a little bit of work, but I think you were enjoying watching me watch the movie, which is like a true joy in my life. I love watching someone watch a movie I love. I don't because I get nervous and I'm like, wait, are they going to see all the things or like how much do I like tell them like, hey, pay attention to this without spoiling stuff. You did like point out like key things I probably would have missed, which I really do appreciate. And you were like, hey, just for like a second, like look up from your phone like right now and i was like oh okay and i wasn't on my phone like that much but i was like oh yeah i'm glad i didn't miss that that was good yeah. <laughs> good and we'll definitely talk about that uh aforementioned moment but um yeah so why don't you just talk about why these movies were paired yeah uh i have wanted you to watch heathers for a while and i've wanted to watch juice i just didn't know much about it um and i just think heathers is a just an off the wall movie that I thought you would like. And we were trying to figure out a way to, to pair them like high school movies or whatever, but just like teens getting into criminal trouble is so funny. (laughs) Like not funny in like reality, but like funny on film and just, it's just so ridiculous. And a couple of high schoolers, a couple of teenage groups where they're committing crimes and not really thinking about the consequences. So that's what these two movies have in common. It is very exciting. Uh, do you want to call the coin flip? Yeah, I'm going to do heads. It is tails. Ooh. I win. It feels like the first time in months. Nice. Which movie are we talking about first? Let's talk about juice. All right, let's do it. All right, Amanda, you got the juice. Tell me what happens in the movie. I do have the juice. All right. Bishop Q. Raheem and Steele are four best friends who are high schoolers in Harlem. They blow off class and just walk around New York, getting into mischief and being buddies. Mischief includes things like stealing records, hanging out at the arcade, and being harassed by the local Puerto Rican gang. This is sort of the first couple minutes of the movie. Gives us a sense of what they do every day. 
They run into a guy who they used to know and went to jail, someone from their neighborhood, and he very politely offers them to assist him in an armed robbery in which they decline. And they were like, that was crazy. Remember that guy? Um, After this, Bishop, played by Tupac Shakur, gets in his head that his group needs to do something more to gain more respect. He doesn't think they're being respected. Q, played by Omar Epps, is unsure if he wants to be involved since he's really focused on his DJing and scratching career. After getting into a DJ competition, Bishop encourages them to rob a local convenience store where he ends up shooting the owner dead. This was certainly not in Q's plan for the night as he's like doing the scratching competition. They run and they're all freaking out. And to quiet them down, Bishop shoots their friend Rahim dead. Now Q and Steele are proper scared of him after this. He threatens to kill his friends if they talk and becomes really addicted to this thrilling lifestyle that he's developed. They go to the funeral of their friend where Bishop tells Rahim's mother that they are dedicated to finding his killer, even though... He's the killer. It is twisted. Q is trying to avoid him as to not be involved and like move on from his friends and not get any more trouble. Um, but Bishop becomes more and more menacing and more and more addicting to like this the power, having the juice. Bishop kills the leader of the Puerto Rican gang after Q and Steele don't come to his rescue one day and he accepts the fact that they are no longer loyal to him. And this sort of like puts a target on their back. After this, Bishop starts the tracks to frame Q for Rahim's murder and plants the idea in people's heads that Q might kill Steele, and if Q showed up dead, that it would be because Bishop had to kill him in order to stop him, which is a lie, and we're watching this happen. Totally a lie. Q gets a gun in self-defense because he's very nervous. He ends up throwing it into the uh, river because he doesn't want to be that kind of person. Meanwhile, Bishop attacks Steele. But he lives, thank God, and Q's girlfriend, who is a nurse, finds out from Steele that Bishop is actually the one doing it all. Q and Bishop are on a chase around Harlem through a party and through streets, and they end up on a rooftop where Q begs Bishop to quit this and just go back to their normal life. They wrestle, and they fight, and they tussle, and Bishop falls over the edge, and they're holding on to each other. He falls to his death, and now Q has the juice. How did I do? You did great. I feel like I like missed a scene, but I can't think of it. So hopefully it's good. No, no, no. Like in terms of just the plot summary, that that was, um, that was strong. Cool. Thank you. Good job. (laughs) So why did you pick this movie for me to watch? It's just one of those great coming of age stories in the same ilk as like Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood. Um, It's an introduction to Ernest Dickerson as a director. He has previously been most famously Spike Lee's cinematographer. It introduced us to Tupac Shakur as an actor. It introduced us to Omar Epps. So all these really important people that would play a big role in the 90s, particularly Tupac and Omar Epps. Um, And it's just a nice switch up from just like coming of age, growing into adulthood. What are you going to do when you go off and graduate from high school? It's more like how people grow up whenever they have less opportunities to do any of that and how their environment can kind of consume them in the worst ways so that's kind of where i wanted to go with that yeah for you on this first impression which it's funny asking you this because i was kind of there for this but what were your first watch impressions and what stood out to you 
So as you noticed, I had no idea that this was a murder movie. I like, didn't know what the crimes were, but I didn't know it was murder. Um, so when things like really started ramping up, it like caught me off guard and like it played really well with me, which is crazy. Like you can, I feel like you can't show a movie that is like 30 years old to anybody and have them be completely caught off guard by the plot, which is very exciting. I had a great time. <laughs> Yeah, this movie kind of hypnotizes you at first, especially if you don't know, because it starts off as just like a friendship hangout movie. It's just four kids ditching school and getting into shit. Yeah. And then it becomes a slasher neo-noir movie yeah. um, really suddenly. Yeah, there was a reporter for um, Entertainment Weekly in his review back in 92 that made a comment says, when every aspect of your environment is defined by violence, is it possible to avoid getting sucked into the maelstrom? It's basically like when there's nothing else around you but violence and bad things is there any way to escape and i think that's sort of like how it feels really accurate of this movie where like quincy's like attempting on escaping and bishop is like bringing him back in there are many movies in which it's like all right this is the one way where i can get out of this town get out of this city get out of this you know poor situation and if the movie becomes all about that but q's djing career or attempts to become a dj is like not even secondary to the movie it's it's secondary to his friends like they don't they don't could care. Not give less of a shit <laughs> yeah. about his djing competition um and instead it becomes like instead of getting out what if you just try to raise your stature within the environment you're raised in because as tupac says in the in the movie as uh as bishop like there there is never going to be shit um and so while they're there, might as well have as much power as they can obtain. Another thing that I thought about while we were watching it was I'm really glad I saw Love and Basketball first <laughs> um, or else I feel like I would have had a really hard time like separating these characters. I would have just been so influenced by um, Omar Epps in this movie. But I think because I watched it backwards and he's so much younger in juice than he is in love and basketball it almost like took me a second to realize that that's still omar epps because they look so different it was a lot easier for me to separate it um and thank god because like I, as you remember i'm sure like one of my biggest commentaries from love and basketball is that i didn't have a relationship to either of those actors and they just felt so rooted in those characters and i really felt that that love story was legitimate because of that and i'm glad that i was able to like have that experience and then have the juice experience yeah, and I think it helps that this movie comes 10 years before Love and Basketball. Um, and it's interesting. I thought you were going to be caught up in the fact that you were looking at another cue played by Omar Epps. Um, <laughs> also true. And, think, and be stuck with like Love and Basketball cue, um, even though we spend time with him in high school and then in college and then as an adult on the West Coast. But I'm glad to hear that that wasn't the case. I know that's always hard in terms of any movie and movie star. But um, it is fun to see a younger Omar Epps like in his first ever movie really get into figure out his his moves and, and all the kind of, I don't know, great leading man uh, characteristics that he showed in this movie that he would go on to continue to flex and honestly not flex enough or get a chance to flex enough in the rest of the 90s and 2000s. But um yeah, shout out to both Love and Basketball in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and that was like another comment I had during that time where I was like, I don't, like I said, I don't have any relationship to him. And you're like, you will. Like they have, he has a lot of very famous roles. And I was like, oh, I'm excited to find out more. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, how about right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what else has stood out? Um, I mentioned this to you and you were like, 
Oh, yeah. I guess that is happening. Um, Q is a high schooler fully involved in a divorcee woman's life. <laughs> like, what? Like what is this? Like, professional nurse, w- adult woman doing with this 17-year-old DJ? Like, what is um, happening? <laughs> I was like, that's... I was like, is that her father? And I was like, oh, that's her ex-husband? What is going on? <laughs> yeah, that, and the ex-husband looks like Q's dad. Like, so old in comparison to Q. It's so funny, but also, you know, Quincy's an attractive kid, and also great for Q, or great for Omar Epps. He gets to do scenes with Cindy Heron. Shout out to um, In Vogue. She's but so beautiful. It Yeah, it's it's such a rebound for her. But, like, the craziest part that you pointed out was, like, the candlelit dinner. Like, they were dating. Like, dating. Like, fully, that's her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, more power to him. Imagine going on a candlelit dinner with a 17-year-old. I, I've been a 17-year-old boy before. Yeah, but not having candlelit dinners with adult women. I wasn't having candlelit dinners with anybody. That's my point. I was, I was going on no date, maybe one date. I was going to see like warm bodies. I was going to say theaters. to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> but turns out to be a really crucial plot point because if Q isn't dating the nurse, then he never finds out yeah. that um, Steele gets shot. It's almost like they needed a way for him to find out from the hospital. So they're like, what if he's dating a nurse? And then, because he can't be a parent because like there's no parents in this movie basically after the first like minute. And then, and then uh, we'll just glaze over the fact that he's a child. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get into like the law version of this story but um i just thought that was funny my last point is that i just love that this is a story about friendship <laughs> i know it it isn't but it is it's about like oh, no we have to stay friends and he's like i don't want to be yeah. friends i want to be popular yeah exactly uh so after you you know parsed out those initial thoughts uh what have you thought about the most since watching tupac shakur is a good actor it's not like now where mu- some musicians are like, I'm going to try the movies. And you're like, that was fun, but you should, you're really better at, at being a musician. Um, this was, a, I know that he's been in other movies that are pretty famous, um, but this first one, Juice, was coming out around the same time as Tupacalypse, which was his first album. And this movie was actually a lot more popular than the album when they both first came out like at face value. Now, Tupacalypse has become extremely famous, and a lot of people have cited it as inspiration for their careers and for a lot of their music and all that kind of stuff. But like when, it, like in 1992, this movie was just more popular than that album, and then retroactively, of course. But um, I didn't realize that he had both careers simultaneously. I thought that he was more of like an established rapper who was in this movie but it was just like hey do you know this kid and we're both in the thing and i I thought that was really cool i thought a lot about like his career as an actor since watching this movie and i have more on that later but yeah it's crazy to think tupac is 18 when they filmed this movie (laughs) i know um i mean they're all young but uh just uh tupac grew up and he had gone to a lot of art school and like he, he famously like wrote poetry. He was very artistic. Even if he was just a hip hop artist, he'd be as influential as he is. But um, he clearly had a lot of art to give in many different kinds of mediums. And he's such a powerhouse in this movie. And yeah, it's kind of undeniable. Like he is definitely 
what jumps off the screen. Yeah. I was going to say, like, even if he never becomes like Tupac the rapper, I feel like he would have had a very solid career still as like Tupac the actor. Another thing I've thought a lot about, and it's such a bit part, but I think it's really awesome that Queen Latifah is in this movie. I have no idea why, but she is someone that I love learning about and know like an odd amount about. I think she is the coolest. And at this time, like she was such a badass in this scene and she is just an undeniable powerhouse in all of like music in general, but in this like culture of music and in this time period and like all this kind of stuff. And I just love that like she got to play like the DJ competition organizer because she is like such clout in that in that zone. And it was just like a really fun little part. And she's so fun to watch and really is such a fucking badass. And I love Queen Latifah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, when she shows up in this movie, she's the more established rapper and musical artist um totally. than tupac like she, lady i think ladies first had come out by this time um she had a couple albums this is only her third movie role and like when we grew up in the mid-2000s queen latifah just kept showing up in like random movies yeah and, and she was the movie star and i think i saw her in more movies than understood that uh the kind of hip-hop career she had yeah um but yeah she is instantly the coolest person on screen the most powerful person on screen and nobody's gonna tell her shit and um just the perfect role for her in this movie if you if i could like have like a a dream like music festival queen latifah and missy elliott would co-headline a night i would oh, think wow. that would be so amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sick. so much respect for them and I, they're so talented um so i just loved that queen latif was in this growing up i really used to love the movie beauty shop <laughs> incredible <laughs> i am not i'm not that surprised <laughs> anyway what else have you thought about <laughs> um i also love that this movie invented the term juice like how you have clout <laughs> you've got juice like it is such a commonly used phrase especially in like athletics and like sports world and like he's really got the juice right now like he's on fire he's going on a hot shot it is like hard to pinpoint like before this movie that phrase really being used in the culture and i i love that like it's it's kind of a ridiculous phrase but i i think it's wonderful and it's used perfectly at the very end of this movie and it just goes on for the rest of uh eternity to to be perfect yeah, and in this movie, it's more about like you are the crime lord, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's like you're the you're the one that's on top of the mountain. You're on the iron throne. Like you have yeah. that juice, as opposed to like you've got the power now. Yeah, the influence, the power, or whatever. Um, and then uh, I've thought a lot about how we need justice for Rahim. You really loved Rahim. Uh, he was the best character. I was so excited uh, every time he was on screen. I was paying attention. Um, it was very confusing because the scene in which Raheem is shot, because I was seeing it for the first time, was very dark. Um, and I thought Q got shot. And I was I literally, I don't know if you remember, but he got shot. And I was like, he, his competition. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then it was like three minutes yeah. later. And you're like, no, Raheem died. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was tough. I was like, what? Do we need to restart the entire movie? I was like, I missed it somehow. <laughs> I just didn't understand. Shout out to Cleo Kane. Uh, famously, you are not the only person who has ever loved Raheem Porter. 
um, rumored to have gotten around, as he should have. He was a very handsome man. And also, like, the most likable uh, guy in the group. He, again, was trying to be the adult in the room, maybe to uh, ill... No, definitely to ill-begotten gains. The scene where Bishop and Q are arguing at Steele's house. <laughs> yes. With you the, broke the vase! I was going to say, with the vase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when Raheem makes them hug, and they do it so reluctantly, that's really used a lot in sports. Yeah. <laughs> when two people make up, yeah. quote-unquote. Um, okay, so let's go on to our next category. What is the first thing you looked up about this movie now that it wasn't in your blind spot? <laughs> so, of course... Tupac like we have to talk about yeah. it some more so yeah. I wanted to know where in his career he was as I said I thought um, going into it that he was an established rapper before he was in this movie and I found out quickly I was incorrect um, so it was a, it was early in his career where people who were watching the movie weren't like oh my god that's Tupac the rapper like if I don't know Kendrick was in a movie right now it would kind of take you out of it a little bit um, so it was really audiences were really able to take his acting at face value um which i think played off well with him having a multifaceted career in both music and acting that people sort of knew him as both at the same time um i think that's awesome uh this movie came out in 92 he had just one album at the time um and he released a handful more movies and i think three or four more albums before being shot um, and killed just four years later. That is such a short amount of time between like the rise of his career and his death. And I'm yeah. not the first person to break this news to everybody. Like I know I'm like literally decades late to this party, but it's just it's it's unbelievable how short four years is um, in retrospect and you know who am I to say like, oh my God, Tupac died so young, but like 25 is just like crazy young and he's so talented and I don't, (laughs) this is not interesting, but I just like the weight of the entire situation. I've just been thinking a lot about um, after seeing him and like the first thing that he produced basically. Yeah. Seeing Tupac this young um, and again, he becomes one of the most famous people on earth, most influential rappers of all time you know, had some problematic things that happened too, but to see him in this movie before all of that, and you see all the signs of his stardom, it's like watching like a superstar athlete in their rookie year or whenever they're in college or juniors. And you're like, oh, this guy has some stuff to him. And then he becomes, you know, like Kevin Durant or Michael Jordan or like Wayne Gretzky. I don't know. There's a hockey reference for you, Amanda. I appreciate the efforts. (laughs) So when you go back to watching it now, it's like, you know, it's familiar to you, but to imagine seeing it back then, especially when um, hip hop was still just kind of breaking out of the ether. Like obviously it had its eighties run and it had NWA and rock him and a bunch of artists. But in the nineties, that's whenever it starts to really blow up. And I particularly love the scene. Um, and this is that scene whenever I told you to look up really quick where Q goes to school for the first time and who knows how long he hasn't remember his locker combination. And uh, when Q closes his locker and then Tupac's right there, it's like, it's almost like a jump scare. Yeah. And and he's so menacing and he's like overacting just a little bit, yeah. but it's like you see that some guy, this guy has snapped and he thinks he's doing the right thing, which means he really is a good villain. And the visceral power that he holds on screen and, and the character he creates is then transferred over into Tupac, the rapper. We, we did talk a lot about already his 
his career being very extensive just in the amount of stuff that he did, but in the type of stuff that he did and the poetic nature of a lot of his content. And this is a little bit of what he's known for, but, um, you know, he was basically only making music for five years publicly and like releasing albums for five years. But after he passed, they did release seven posthumous albums. Like that is so many pieces of work that he made in such a short amount of time um, that they had that many, that much music after he passed to still release. Yeah. Tupac, there's, there's so much mythology about him now. Um, There's so much content about him and, and from him. Um, and one of our most important figures of culture in the 90s, for sure. Yeah, I think especially like watching this movie made me want to broaden what I do know about him. Um, I would say, you know, in comparison to what you can know about him and how much he's been covered and how much content there is about Tupac Shakur, I am very surface level. Um, and I am interested... Um, you know, I'm sure there's like a thousand documentaries I can watch. Um, and it's definitely like on my list of things to do in the next couple of months is just like learn so much more about him. Yeah. And I would definitely say you, you would probably enjoy like the other movies he's in. Above the Rim is a movie I watched a lot growing up because it's a, basically a basketball movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a couple years later when he is definitely Tupac the persona as well. And he kind of utilizes that or they utilize that in that movie a lot more. There's a lot. Yeah. Poetic Justice is another one. Yeah. Tupac has a vast amount of life yeah. lived in his short amount of time. So it's definitely worth uh, diving into it. What else um, did you look up about the movie? I wanted to know if there were other famous DJing movies. Like, yeah. this is the whitest possible sentence. And I am so sorry for this. <laughs> but the DJ battle reminded me a lot of the rap battle in 8 Mile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm laughing more because you prefaced it so hard. <laughs> but like, I, it's like the only thing I could like understand. Like, I don't know. This is terrible. But it it reminded me a lot of that scene. So I was like, well, there's like famous like rap battle movies. But I was like, are there famous like DJ battle movies? That I just like don't know about because uh, I haven't seen them because I hadn't seen this one. Um, and the answer is like kind of uh, a lot of it has less to do with like scratching hip hop sort of DJing and a lot of the movies are more about like clubbing ED like electronic sort of DJing like Berlin Calling which is a very famous movie um and things like that so the answer is Shout like out to we are your friends <laughs> yes we are your <laughs> friends the answer is like not really but I wanted to know if there was like a sloth of movies I just like missed because I I grew up the way I did. Um, I <laughs> no, no, I that, that's totally fair because it's definitely a world that even if you did, if if you do listen to rap and hip hop now or grew up listening to it, scratching DJing is a relic of early hip hop, right? Yeah. Like, if you think about the beats now, or even think about the beats in the two thousands, mm-hmm. and then you think about rap in the early nineties and late eighties, scratching was so much more integral and necessary. Um, because sampling was different, right? Yeah. And to make a beat was much more analog. And like, if you went to a rap concert, then there was going to be the DJ on on stage keeping the beat going so they could perform. Yeah. Um, and it's it's definitely cool. It's definitely uh, opened up the world to a lot of people, which was you know part of the point of any movie is to open up worlds to to people who aren't as uh, 
exposed to them. So I don't think you need to be ashamed too much of, of not seeing a lot of DJ movies. And also hip hop didn't have as big of a place in the culture at the time. So of course there's not going to be a lot of movies about scratching. So don't feel too ashamed about that. Again, we, there is no shame about not seeing or not being exposed to content on this podcast. Yeah. I do want to give like a quick local Arizona shout out. Uh, they have a lot of really good vinyl DJing that happens at Valley Bar, Degentrification, which is like DJ-trification, is like a pretty popular one in Phoenix. Um, and even my friend James White uh, does really good mixes and DJing at Valley Bar probably once or twice a week. He's also at Crescent um, that you can you can see nice. his stuff. He rules. So if you ever want to see him, tell him I say hi. Um, another thing I thought about is, and I can't remember what shot it is in the movie, but... I, the the second I saw it, I was like, oh, that reminds me of Spike Lee. And then I was like, maybe that's just like of this time. But no, it is the guy who did a lot of the cinematography for Spike Lee, especially in his early films, made this movie. So that was like a really fun thing to uh, connect later on. It's something that you mentioned in like why you wanted me to watch it. Um, but there's one or two shots uh, that are sort of like, from the bottom looking up at like a, a wider angle to capture like a group of people um, that reminded me a lot of do the right thing in certain scenes or a, a bunch of people like huddled around what I know as a camera and like the point of view um, that just reminded me a lot of like early Spike Lee stuff that I was like, Oh, maybe it's like influence, but no, it's like the same guy, which was really cool. Yeah. Ernest Dickerson, he was Spike's cinematographer on Malcolm X this same year. He was, on Mo Better Blues, on Do the Right Thing, et cetera, et cetera. And the fun part about Dickerson in this movie is that he doesn't make it blatant that he was a cinematographer first. Like, there's not a lot of hashtag shots in this movie. It's no. very internal. It's very focused on the story and really important on the blocking. And the scene where they introduce the gun into the friend group, it, it becomes the center of the screen and everybody is just huddled around it and you're really put into kind of the gun's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the it cuts to a close up. Bishop takes the gun, and then then the movie flips into what it becomes afterward. Yeah, and I think that's uh, really smart writing, direction, blocking, all that stuff. Um, Ernest Dickerson has a really strange film career for probably multiple reasons, but um, he definitely came out the gates flaming hot with juice. Can we talk really quick about the the first scene of the movie? Yeah. I, I love that it tells you everything you need to know about the movie. Q has his relationship with his little brother and his mom is very like caring, but also stern and like, you know, you can't just DJ, which means obviously he's going to focus more on DJing. Um, Steel has his whole family and they're kind of a tight, cohesive unit sleeping in bunk beds. Um, my best friends growing up also slept in bunk beds despite being grown people. And it's a very particular dynamic. And I think that was really telling with um, with Bishop because he wakes himself up, he says hi to his grandma, and you clearly see his dad is not well. Yeah. And that immediately sets you up to see like, oh, he's probably got some stuff going on. It's all right there in that first scene. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really just a smart way to open your movie and establish your characters in what is a short movie. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to spend time talking about their personalities really when in three minutes you basically get the whole idea yeah that's how you show and not tell basically yeah, exactly um so from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie um another thing i looked up immediately was something that you put me on to is the alternate ending so the ending of this movie is kind of like 
comical. Like it's so corny. Um <laughs> Which there's nothing corny about like I'm a young kid falling off of a building and dying, but like the way it's done is just like this movie was so good until like this last scene. And I'm like, what is this? This is kind of weird. Um, so what happens for people who haven't seen it or need a refresher is basically like Quincy is holding Bishop's hand and they're struggling and Quincy's like, I'll 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 like pull you back up, blah, 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 like I got you. And he like slips basically. Bishop gives like a Ah, it's like falls (laughs) into like blackness. Like there's no, it's just like a black screen. Like it's so weird. And I was like, did that really just happen? Like is that the end of this movie? And um, Zach had told me that there is actually an alternate ending that was filmed first. It didn't get good reviews in the first like showing. And so they they reshot it and everyone was like, this is not the right answer. Like the first ending is the right one, but audiences are not liking it. So Tupac asked, like, can I do this as lazy as possible in order to basically be like, this is dumb. Um, And the director was like, you betcha, (laughs) which is very funny. So in the alternate ending or the original ending, however you'd like to put it, um, Quincy is still holding on to him. And Bishop basically hears the sirens of the police coming and says, I can't go to jail. And he lets go of Q's hand and he falls to his death, which to me makes so much more sense to the character and the plot and their dynamic and their life and everything else. It's also foreshadowed in the movie when they're all at uh, Steele's house and watching uh, that black and white movie, which is 1949's White Heat. But at the end, when they're watching that movie and Bishop's getting really excited about watching this black and white movie, at the end of White Heat, the guy like kind of decides to die on his own terms. And then Bishop is like, that's how you do it. You know, get yeah. the wind in your sails and the ground in your feet. And then that's what they were going to do. And and then unfortunately, that's not what the studio wanted. But um, yeah, the, it's it's like an all time bad. Like, uh, it's almost like the Lucas Brothers. <laughs> Shout <laughs> out to like, Lucas Brothers. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I'm going to watch the Lucas Brothers tonight. That's great. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, th- do you have any other questions about this movie? I don't. Um, but I did want to open up sort of the, the floor if you would like. You can also cut this if you don't want. Um, to just talk about like this movie's importance to the culture at large. Cause I didn't really know a lot about it, but I've always heard about it. Um, you know, maybe it is just because like early Omar Epps and early Tupac, but if, if there's like more that I'm not understanding, I would love to hear more. This movie was one big in terms of hip hop and rap culture. Like the, the soundtrack is sick. You got Eric B and Rakim, Naughty by Nature, Salt and Peppa. You have big daddy Kane. And, and to your point of talking about like, you weren't very privy to like, DJing and scratching like hip hop at this point was still hip hop now is the culture right where we yeah. are in yeah. 2022 you have Tupac who is one of the most if not the most iconic rappers ever so this movie comes in the early 90s and it comes after Boys in the Hood because Boys in the Hood opened up the white studio execs eyes to like oh black people will spend money to go to the movies and there's so many of these stories told and because there wasn't a lot of black stories told up to this point. It was like, all right, let, there, there is a, a boatload of stories we can tell. And this is the neo-noir crime version of that coming of age story where they can't make it out of their situation and it in fact consumes them. But um, 
again, culturally, it's it's crucial in the Tupac canon for obvious reasons. It's crucial in the Omar Epps canon. Omar Epps is probably one of the leading men um, in Hollywood that Hollywood didn't know what to do with. Yeah. Sean Fennessy of Ringer and Grantland fame on the Letterboxd podcast talked about comparing Omar Epps to Jimmy Stewart, where Jimmy Stewart in a lot of movies, like in Vertigo, he's not anything quote unquote special. He's just a guy who has extraordinary things happen to him yeah and he was really good at, at playing that right and um omar epps probably should have more of a career than he has had um even though he's had a great career to this point but hopefully um in his latter stage he can if he wants to um get some cooler and um roles to really sink his teeth into because even here at a young age he was able to flex a lot of emotion and empathy and just a lot of character within uh gq and then I think that's that that like wraps it up. It's it's just an important movie in hip hop culture, in, in black culture, um, in the black movie canon, in the black coming of age story canon, that this is a rich period of time for that. So um I'm glad you got to watch it. Me too. I, I liked the note that this was sort of like in that first wave of mainstream movies about black stories. I think that is something I missed in the context. So I'm glad to, I have a better understanding of it now. Yeah. And it's like a black movie. That's like not super about being black, but like every black story can't escape that. Cause that's where we are in the world for forever. So <laughs> it, it's fun to be like, all right, this movie is about that. Obviously it's like, it's, it's an East Harlem. You got um, all these characters and, uh, and all this culture and stuff, but like, at the same time, this is a friends hangout movie that turns into a neo noir slasher monster film. It's um, it's just a serial killer movie with a lot of sick music. Yeah. So, would you want to watch this movie again? I would. I had a great time. Uh, yeah, I would love to see this movie again. All, <laughs> All right. right. Let's go to one of the whitest movies ever. <laughs> After that, there's literally multiple games of croquet. All right, let's take a break first. Today's episode of the Blind Spotters podcast is not at all sponsored by Los Muertos Salsa in Phoenix, Arizona. You can find Los Muertos at farmers markets and in select stores around the valley. They even deliver on Instagram. They are award winning and have levels of heat as well as seasonal flavors. I usually go for the medium, but if you're brave, you can try out the effing hot. I know it's really popular. We don't have a discount code for you, but let them know we sent you. Los Muertos basically helped Zach and I get through college. Support Los Muertos Salsa and support local businesses. Greetings and salutations. Let's talk about Heather's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a rip-roaring movie. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. What is the movie Heather's about? Oh, it's so many things. Heather's is a movie that is directed by Michael Lehman, written by Daniel Waters. And this is what happens. Heather's centers on Veronica Sawyer, who's played by Winona Ryder, who is part of the popular clique at school with three other girls all named Heather. Heather Duke, played by Shannon Doherty. Heather McNamara, played by Lisanne Falk. And their leader, Heather Chandler, played by Kim Walker. They attend Westerberg High School in Sherwood, Ohio, and are the cliche it girls, which means they're basically pretty mean, although Veronica is a bit more shy, a bit more nice, and, you know, she's our lead. One day in the cafeteria, Veronica meets JD, who is played by Christian Slater, and he is clearly the rebellious outsider, and also clearly there's chemistry between the two. 
Later, Veronica attends a frat party with Heather Chandler, and it's not great for Veronica. She wants to leave, but Heather doesn't want to because she's with her boyfriend or person she's talking to or whatever. And so Veronica gets hammered and vomits in front of everyone, and Heather Chandler says she's going to tell everyone back at school. That same night, JD shows up, says greetings and salutations to Veronica at her house, and they hook up outside on the lawn and complain about Heather Chandler. The next morning, Veronica and JD break into Heather Chandler's house, planning to make a fake hangover cure of milk and orange juice. Gross. Instead, JD gives Veronica a mug of drain cleaner. Veronica unknowingly gives it to Heather, who drinks it and it kills her. So JD has Veronica forge a suicide note. The school grieves it as a tragedy, and they end up making it where Heather's reputation is improved around the school. And so Heather Duke sees this as an opportunity and starts to become the new leader. Later, Heather McNamara gets Veronica to go on a double date with her and two football players, Kurt and Ram. But in the middle of the date, Veronica ditches Heather to hang out with JD. The next day, the boys are spreading a false rumor about Veronica And so JD convinces Veronica to lure them into the woods, shoot them with tranquilizers, and stage it to make it look like they were lovers with the suicide pact. Um, It gets a little sloppy, but they accomplish their goal. And at the funeral, the boys are made into martyrs, basically. Afterward, JD blackmails Heather Duke into getting the student body to sign what he says is a petition and also gives her Heather Chandler's red scrunchie, as in like she has the juice now. All this commotion at school influences Martha Dunstock, a very unpopular student, to attempt suicide but does so unsuccessfully. Heather McNamara also attempts to do so unsuccessfully after Heather Duke gets her bullied for calling into a radio show and talking about her depression. Later, Veronica returns home and her parents say JD stopped by and was saying he was worried that Veronica would also try to commit suicide. And she finds a note from him in a room that is in her handwriting, as well as a Barbie hanging over her room, kind of being like, oh, you you better watch out for JD. Um, JD breaks in planning to kill Heather Duke but it's revealed to be a dream sequence. Anyway, Veronica realizes JD wants to kill her, so she fakes her own suicide and gets JD to monologue and reveal his plan to blow up the school at a pep rally and stage it to look like a mass suicide with a letter signed by all the students that aforementioned petition. Veronica finds JD the next day in the boiler room and attempts to stop him. She shoots him, and his switchblade ends up cutting the wire, stopping the bomb. But when JD escapes outside, he reveals a bomb that is strapped to his chest and he blows himself up. Veronica then walks back inside looking terrible, approaches Heather Duke, takes the red scrunchie from her, and then invites Martha to hang out with her. How did I do? You did great. That's the movie. Uh, <laughs> There's so much movie in this movie. <laughs> it, it doesn't help that like for half of the characters, you must give a first and last name. <laughs> you know, it's a real it's, Heathcliff, Heathcliff situation. Yeah. Or else it's just like, and then Heather says to Heather about Heather before. And then, yeah, which is <laughs> like just why the movie is so funny. <laughs> I thought Heather's was going to be like the nickname, like, oh, like the plastics or something. But no, it's the Heather's. Actually, they're all the Heather's. Yeah, they're all Heather's. <laughs> I wonder if that was a prerequisite. Anyway, uh, why don't you tell me why you picked this movie? So this movie is a cult classic in all the ways. It is earlier in this podcast, I gave you Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is a cult classic that was made specifically to be bad in a cult classic. This is not. This is a cult classic that was just made and then it was so off the wall and bonkers and like talked a lot about like there's a lot of dark humor, especially for this time. And, you know, there's teen suicide. There's um, there's so much going on and it became so not mainstream that it became mainstream. And that is like the perfect 
cult classic and um it's just so off the wall and i love it you never know what's gonna happen next um there's so many good one-liners and i just think winona is one of my favorite actresses and we had her in an earlier film and you had commented that you don't really know much of her career and i wanted to take this opportunity to uh, showcase another really famous movie that she's been in and a role that she's really famous for um, because she's just she's so good I love her face acting as well and um, yeah this just Heather's is great and like without Heather's you don't get Mean Girls and like that's our generation's like big movie and um, I think that that's fun to see kind of where so much originated from yeah, that's that's funny. That's one of my uh, first impressions, if you will. Yeah. So what other impressions did you have? So yeah, I when the Heathers were walking around and there's all the clicks, I was like, oh, this is Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah. But uh, first of all, the zinger, just line after line of extremely dated, but it turns out not intentionally dated lingo, uh, including what's your damage? <laughs> what's your damage <laughs> so yeah, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna rip a few off uh Let's do they it. all want me as a friend or a fuck save the speeches for malcolm x i just want to get laid great pate but i got a motor if i want to make that funeral that's my favorite bit in the whole movie <laughs> yeah. she's always like great pate but i got a motor <laughs> <laughs> like we, we try to bring some of these back my teen angst bullshit has a body count <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> now blah 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 is all i do if you were happy every day of your life you'd be a game show host yeah like we'll get to more of this but winona with her monocle like what a writer 10 Um, out of 10 so good this is such a nerdy reference but i watched i'm no angel with may west and then this also reminded me of sweet smell of success where like both those scripts just have like incredibly 30s 40s 50s zingers that you think it's a joke but it's really just like of that time and they just were pulling everything out in the script and that's what i was thinking about when i watch heather's like i think one other one i didn't even put down was like fuck me with a chainsaw or something like that with a chainsaw veronica (laughs) (laughs) it's so insane and they just say it like it's nothing but it, it makes it really really fun do you have a favorite one yeah it's what's your damage but um one of the things i really wanted to mention in this section is that heather's actually created so many of these phrases like these weren't 80s phrases until heathers came out basically which is so exciting that they basically made fetch happen like, <laughs> like to like perfectly true, yeah. like, like align the situation i mean what's your damage just like became an 80s phrase and it like first came from this movie fuck me sideways with a chainsaw like that is totally original um and then just like it's so funny um i do enjoy um the now blah 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 is all i do um i think that's a really good one it's crazy that this is like either creates or riffs off of 80s lingo so hard because it's 89 like it's the end of the decade yeah um and becomes so uh iconic um another thing that stood out on first watch i was like oh this is like a dark comedy this is a black comedy yeah straight i shouldn't be laughing at what i'm laughing at and yet I am, which is the hallmarks of that genre. And uh, there's like commentary within that or whatever. But I, I thought that was a fun aspect. Yeah. The other uh, thing I wanted to just mention is that I love that this movie is shot almost like fully dream sequenced. Like it has like a 
white haze over the whole thing as if it was like placed into another movie you would be like oh we're like in a thought bubble or like we're doing something else but it so it's like it is filmed like a dream sequence but it plays out like a nightmare and i love the like the the juxtaposition of like the softness of the whole movie with like the pate and the croquet and the uh the white sheen and the big scrunchie but also like it's a a movie about teen suicide like it as well and just like those two things playing off of each other i think is really uh i just so it's so good um the last thing that really stood out is i think i'm finally starting to understand the winona rider thing um obviously we have watched edward scissorhands on this movie and that's what i first was talking about my lack of knowledge when it comes to winona rider but um this movie obviously earlier in her career um i think it was her fifth movie and I read that her agent really didn't want her to do it. Like her agent was like, this will ruin your career. Turns out that was not true. And we have what Winona Ryder has given us since then. But um, she's so like winning in this movie. Like you immediately have empathy with her, even though she's just like a bystander to all this bullying that's happening with her friend group. And you understand that she has given up basically being a smart girl so she could be a popular girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of seeing the back end of the, that sacrifice and how much she just doesn't enjoy the choices that she has made. And she's definitely a accomplice to these murders, whether she knows it or not. Like by the second time, at least she should realize that. And she kind of starts to realize that JD is not the business, mm-hmm. but at the same time, she's clearly having so much fun with it. And so I know Ryder getting to play like the sweet girl and the one you kind of care about, but also the one you feel bad about, but also the one that's like not doing the right thing at all. And all within that Winona Ryder is incredibly winning. She's just the queen of the eighties. Like it's like her and like Molly Ringwald for like these teen movies. And you were either like into like the alternative movies or the mainstream movies. And either way you get like one of these two Queens and I just think it's so, she's so cool. <laughs> and she carries on like throughout the 90s. Like she has a very prolific 90s career that I got another Winona movie on our list going later on, but which I think is most similar to this role that one is. So it'll be really fun later. But um, what else have you thought about since, like what have you thought about most, what's stuck with you most since watching the film? So to stick on Winona Ryder, uh, her monocle, I thought that was a joke at first. I thought maybe it was her dad's that she had stolen and she was just using. No, she just uses it while she writes in this diary, like really aggressively. Um, She loves it. And all those all those scenes are so funny. I mean, it literally is like is a fugly bitch. Like it is the burn book. Like she it's (laughs) I I love Like it's clearly so influential on Mean Girls. Yeah. So um, but other than that, you know, obviously any movie that has um, a long tail and a legacy kind of, you know, it must have something to say. Right. And I think this movie has a lot of commentary on the out of touch adults of the 80s. Um, Again, that's a big Gen X theme um, and and whatnot. But one example of it is uh, JD's relationship with his father. And how they, when they flip roles in conversation and when there's like, Hey son, aren't you going to introduce, you know, that whole dynamic Mm -hmm. is really just like, who is the adult here or who thinks they're the adult and who thinks they're the child or what, what's going on. It just really hones in on the, like the generational gap and the misunderstanding of this like eighties generation of teenagers. A good example of that is like the teacher's council after each um, murder slash 
assumed suicide yeah. and them trying to break down or understand how they should respond and it's just wrong in every single way it it, it really just highlights that um the dumb adults really mm-hmm. <laughs> another thing i thought of is jd definitely would have loved the joker absolutely like the, like like the jo- joaquin phoenix's joker yeah 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 like the, that fake deep not good movie come at me i don't think it's a good movie yeah i, I think it looks great and joaquin is good in it but i just don't like it personally just let let joaquin play normal people that's all I want. He's so fucking he did, talented. and then and then we didn't nominate him for anything. Yeah. Watch. Come on. Come on. Anyway, so Christian <laughs> Slater. Let's talk about him really quick. He Please. was inspired by Jack Nicholson in this role, which makes sense for his delivery. It really sounds like a, he sounds like a guy who's trying to be Jack. Yeah, he definitely is. Like, sounds he almost feels like a teenager who's doing an impression the whole time. <laughs> which he is. Yeah, and he's the rebellious teen who who like watches like cnn and reads the newspaper and like everything is war he's basically like timothy chalamet and ladybird he's that archetype yeah he's the rebellious teen like, who thinks i'm way cooler than uh everyone else because i read a book he literally says multiple times like we live in a society or he has a lot of societal commentary he is clearly a guy that is easy to not like. I don't know if he's a heartthrob in your eyes or in other people's eyes at this point, but it's very much like uh, you know, the bad boys of the eighties movies, but he is a murderer, so that's not. I read in an article on Brightwell Dark Room, um, by Olivia Collette, uh the quote was if the chaos he represents gets rid of the world's assholes, then order lets them live. Order creates those assholes and allows them to thrive. Westerberg isn't just full of them. It's prepping them for adult assholehood, which I thought was a kind of a real through line of like what JD was attempting to articulate, but then his compulsion to then murder people was the wrong way to express that. Um, and, and he kind of crumples underneath all the, but how much he dislikes society. Yeah. Christian Slater has an interesting career. I know him most from true romance. Um, yeah. But sense. other than that, he's in a shit ton of stuff, but I, oh, I just, he has a not, very prolific career. <laughs> I didn't have a huge relationship to him, so it was it was funny to watch him play someone. I can't I couldn't decide if I liked how he was playing it, but I think he was playing a kid who thought he was more of an adult than the kids around him, but he was still a kid um, with these big ideas. And uh, if that was his intention, he executed it very well. Yeah, for sure. I the JD character is really fun. I also like. I think it's funny that his name is jd and he reminds me of someone i'm sure this was intentional but someone who would find like jd salinger and catcher in the rye to be like on god like those people are (laughs) problematic as hell it's a good book it's a good book don't get me wrong but like there's other books (laughs) and he just like reminds me of someone who would like read that book and be like i get it and others don't and i love that like and I'm sure it's intentional. It kind of has to be. I would feel that like he is JD and that book is by G- JD Salinger. Oh, yeah. You know what? I never put that together. Never read that book. Um, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I will say I don't know if it's really good when you're 27. It's re- it's really good when you're 17. I hope okay. it's I'm a little less disillusioned with the world and a little bit more like move on. So maybe it's different. <laughs> Blind Spotters book edition. Um, Let us know which books you'd like us to swap. <laughs> All right. What was some of the first things you looked up about the movie? I needed to know how croquet worked. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I can assume you have never played a game of croquet. No, the thing is we had a croquet set growing up. We just hit it around. Oh, okay. Anyway, so for the 
uninitiated like yours truly croquet can be played by two four or six players the object of the game is to hit the balls through the course of six hoops in the right sequence in each direction and finish by hitting them against the center peg the side which completes the first course or which completes the course first with both balls wins have you played croquet i have not like extensively but i've played croquet before there's a lot of croquet scenes in this movie. Uh, one I wanted to point out was the one where Veronica starts hanging out with Betty Finn again. Only so I could point out that when I was looking up Betty Finn, because I was like, I like that actor. They seem charming. I wonder who they are. Her name is Renee Estevez. And her older brother, or one of her older brothers, is Emilio Estevez. Oh, she's in the... Uh, she's in the Sheen family. Yeah, that's fun. That's a real fun fact. It's, there are only five families in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. They're all related. <laughs> Which makes it more fun in terms of like this being a dark John Hughes movie, Emilio Estevez, obviously, um, in all those Rat Pack movies. So I thought that was funny. Um, Another thing. I think my favorite croquet scene is, no, Heather, it's Heather's turn. Heather? Sorry, Heather. (laughs) In like the very first, (laughs) in like the very beginning. (laughs) Which brings me to another thing I looked up. I wanted to know how many times Heather was said in the movie. That's so smart. I love that. You're so (laughs) smart. We should have a podcast together. We should have a podcast. It was said 90 times. Holy shit. <laughs> which it's up there with like, you know, they say juice a lot, but not that much. No, and like it five. has to be up there. With, it has to be up there with Mank. <laughs> Mank was not the movie. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> if anybody has any other movies, they know off the top of their head in which the title is said a lot in the movie. Give it to me. I love when that happens i love when they work it in very well and heather's it is unavoidable 90 times in a like 100 minute movie that's crazy that's almost a heather a minute <laughs> a heather a minute and we're losing heathers as the movie goes on too like just just so you remember <laughs> we're getting less and less heathers anyway so the other thing i looked up about this movie is what on earth did people think about this movie it was a kind of a sundance darling if you will um it's still early in the sundance uh festivals or whatever but critics liked it but it flopped at the box office it made 1.1 million dollars on a three million dollar budget tough yeah um so not not good became more of a cult movie when it got onto vhs and laserdisc and dvd and whatnot um but it earned lamin uh an independent spirit award for best first feature a award that i think the oscar should include mm-hmm. and uh roger ebert gave it two and a half stars which makes sense <laughs> it sounds right <laughs> he said in his review the film inspires thought and has the ability to shock two qualities that make it worth considering maybe it's true that teenagers will understand it best maybe it's even true that they deserve to which raj incredible a great watcher of films yeah um it's almost like what he did best um do you have any other questions about this movie there's so much going on and it has like a weird place in the culture so do you have any other questions i have two big ones uh one is what would you do with the five million dollars before the end of the world i just i just don't think i would find five million dollars valuable if the world was ending well, famously in succession, five million is the worst. <laughs> also true. <laughs> you don't want to like, would you just have like your saxophone, some tequila and a boat? Yeah, just like, yeah, basically just like go out in style, I guess. <laughs> what would you do with five million dollars before the end of the world? Well, I'm in Vegas, so I, I might yeah. just go on the strip. I you guess know, like, live it up. does everyone know it's the end of the world or do I know it's the end of the world and no one else does 
Let's say that you are the only one that knows it's the end of the world. Okay, because that's more helpful. Because like, remember when we had like a disease and the world shut down and there was like, you can have $5 million, nothing you can do. Nothing's open. That's kind of what I was saying. Well, I, I didn't have $5 million and somehow I still spent a lot of money. Yeah. With a lot of packages coming to my door. Um, True. Lots, lots of food delivery. Yes. Yeah, support <laughs> the Amazon union. Um. I, I would probably just do like what like Queen Latifah in Last Holiday where she just like yeah. goes to the Swiss Alps or whatever and like lives her life. Yeah. I don't know if you could do that in a day, but live it up however much I could. Rent a small jet that fits all my favorite people and just go somewhere. Okay, so here's not really a question, but more of a prompt. Can you tell me about Heather's the Musical? I can tell you about Heather's the Musical. So it's a really new musical in the grand scheme of musical theater, as many, many old musicals are still on Broadway. Um, So it was in LA for a while as like a repertoire, which is like really small, um, not on like a stage situation. Um, Fun fact, uh, while it was in development in LA still, Kristen Bell played the original Veronica. Um, so this is like funny. before the play was ever picked up, it had to like play to smaller people. Remember in, gotcha. um, uh, tick, tick, boom, where he's like waiting for the critic to come watch him. And he's like in the room full of people. Oh, and he's yeah, like yeah, nervous yeah. about it. And then like, like Sondheim shows up yeah. and stuff. It's like that sort of situation. Okay. So they would like do that over and over again to like try to show new people this musical. So Veronica, or Veronica was played by Kristen Bell for a while in that. Which was very fun, in fact. Um, Shout out Veronica Mars. Yeah, there we go. Um, it moves from LA and Hollywood and like that world to off Broadway, um, which is where like a lot of shows start. And it was off Broadway um, from 2014. Uh, and it was gaining a lot of popularity there. That's like another really common situation in musical theater where like the musical people will know, like, that's where you go find good stuff. And then mm. um, it never actually went to Broadway. It went across the pond to the Broadway of England, the West End. Um, and it was there starting in 2018. Um, and there are so many fun songs. It's it's a very contemporary. Um, and it's not like a rock musical or like a hip hop musical, but it has like very contemporary music, like a lot of musicals that are being written right now. Um, but they have very fun songs that are quotes from the movie, like our, our love is God. Um, it is about getting a slushy and then, uh, my dead gay son, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. When the dad comes to the funeral, he's like, I love my get my dead gay son. And we're like, okay. (laughs) So my dead gay son, fun, fun movie or fun song. Um, in the West end cast, the original cast, Veronica was played by Carrie Hope Fletcher, um, if you were ever in the like English YouTube world, um, she was friends with like Charlie is so cool like and all those things like they were all best friends. Alex Day, who ended up becoming a bad person um, and who were friends with like John and Hank Green and sort of all in that same realm. Oh, um, But Carrie Hope wow. Fletcher was sort of a YouTuber who always wanted to be a singer and a performer. And she went on to the West End and she did uh she did Heather's the musical. She also did the Adams family. She ended up doing a lot of cool stuff. So there, it had like a little bit of like an internet following, um, in order for that. 
Um, so it's still pretty small, which is why it hasn't been nominated for Tony. It hasn't been performed on Broadway. Um, so it can't be like best new musical or anything. People who like musical theater are really into it. And it has a traveling cast. Um, I think it's coming to Tempe in 2023. I'd love to see it. Um, the music is really solid if you ever want to check it out. And um, in an original performance, Jeremy Jordan's, who's like I don't know, the Brad Pitt of musical theater right now, like heartthrob galore, has been in a lot of famous things, played JD in an original casting, and that's a fun role. So um, uh, Heather's the Musical is also getting a, a, a big push on TikTok right now. People are really oh, into, wow. the, into the tunes of Heather's the Musical on TikTok, but I haven't seen it. I'd love to see it, so maybe I'll try. I'll be able to see it next year. But that's that's really all I know for a show I haven't seen. <laughs> I mean, you did a great job. That was Amanda's Theater Corner. Yeah, and we're closed. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I, I knew that you were excited to go on that spiel. So, um, is there any questions or comments that you have left for me? I I mean, we talked a little bit about the singers, but we gotta spout some more. Do you have any favorites that stood out to you? How very? Yeah, I mean, like the best. I, I was like, I was like, wait, is this a thing? Do people say that? No, but I'm like, but they it's, could. It's very. Yeah. This movie is very. This movie is very. I agree. Another one. Uh, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? <laughs> that is the funny. That's so funny. Like if someone came up with that on the spot, I would just be like, "You win." That's great. I think another thing that's really good about this movie is the costuming. Um, the outfits are yeah. so iconic to put the Heather's in like the three colors with the big scrunchie and just so many shoulder pads and so much plaid. So many shoulder pads. And yeah. big ass hair and it's so good to make a scrunchie iconic. Like that rules. Um I just the the casting department or the costuming department did such a good job with this movie. It feels so of this time and it also makes very good Halloween costumes. <laughs> it's very it's very I also enjoy, are we going to prom or to hell? I love like the vitriol in which Winona speaks. It just, you don't know what you're watching the whole time. It's great. I love it. Would you watch this movie again? Did you enjoy it? I think, yeah, I think I watched it again. I'd at least pull up scenes on YouTube just so I could watch and hear the slang. Like, I, I can't emphasize how much once I realized, like, quickly, obviously, that they were just repeating the dinner scene, but this time for a funeral instead of a party. I was like, this is this is incredible. Got a motor. Got a motor. Love the pate. Got a motor. <laughs> the pate. <laughs> you ever had pate? Um, I've been offered pate, but I'm not that interested. I don't... I, I don't even know what pate is. It's like a moose version of meat. Like, liver pate is, like, liver that's, like, in, like, a moose form. I'm so uninterested in the texture of it. Is pate crunchy? It looked crunchy. No, I don't no, no, no. It's like like peanut butter. Oh God. Yes, very smooth. It's like you like put pate like you like scoop it and you like put it on a cracker and you eat it. Bro, there's cheese. Yeah, literally, just like eat a soft cheese. Eat a dip. Love a dip. My mother, big fan of pate. I don't know. I don't have to eat it. It like comes in like a loaf form. It's really gross. Oh, God, I'm, no, I'm, I'm so out, I'm uninterested. Um, I'm out on that. I'm out on pate, but I am in on this movie. I had to watch it. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. Um, well, I'm glad you, this was honestly a couple of winners. I think we this yeah. was fun. Uh, which movie did you like the most out of the two? I hate this cop out, but I'm going to do it one more time. I, I'm going to put on the bingo <laughs> sheet now. It's just been too many times. Um the answer is Heather's, but I really loved Juice. I, I'm going to go with Juice. Yeah. I, 
<laughs> that's it. I, like Heather's probably more quotable, but like Juice, man. We just when did you watch <laughs> Juice for the first time? I it was on semi often when I was growing up, but I then I like didn't sit down to like rewatch it and fully understand it until like a couple years ago. Okay. Or like revisit it during like early lockdown. And I, it was more fun because I had a more of idea of like who everybody was. But yeah. What about you with Heathers? I watched Heathers in high school, like okay. right before my senior year or right after my senior year, somewhere around there. I remember exactly where I was. I was with Tisa. We were in Encinitas and we watched Heathers and we were both like, what was that? That was great and crazy. She also loves killer movies, yeah. so it's pretty fun. That um, makes sense. Yeah. I, um, Juice is a movie that came up whenever I finally started getting into like Tupac and Biggie and like kind of wanting to understand hip hop um, yeah. when I was younger. So Cool. I, I was just curious like where in your yeah. life you were influenced by this movie. Why don't you tell people, th- those are the movies that we watched. We enjoyed it. Great job by us. Excellent what are the job, next everyone. Ones? I'm so excited for this one. Me too. I was really excited for this last one. We've honestly, I feel like we've been on a hot streak. Give us a rate. Yeah. Tell me if I'm right or not. Um, but the next two <laughs> movies, we're doing some unlikely duos. Um, and Zach is watching Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, a David Fincher classic. So excited to get back into Finch World. And then um, I'm watching Rush Hour, which Hell is yeah. just the biggest blind spot possible, I feel. So what do you know? <laughs> I feel like Juice was really up there, too, in terms of blind spots. Yeah, but I feel like Rush Hour was like on TV on like TNT at like two in the afternoon, like every day for like seven years. <laughs> That's fair. That was just my VHS tape. Um, what do you know about Rush Hour? I know it's like a buddy comedy. I Uh know Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker are in it. Uh That's kind of, I know there's a bunch of sequels. Um, That's kind of it. I'm curious to know like how much the like racial dynamics have aged. Um, Terribly. Yeah. I'm just going to like kind of take it at face value. Um, But yeah, I really like, I don't know much about it except like, isn't it funny that we put this Asian man and this black man in a movie together? Like, it's like sort of like what I was like, presented it as so um and then what do you know about girl with the dragon tattoo um i know it's fincher i attempted to read the book when we were in college um i know daniel craig and rooney mara are in it i know it's one of your comfort movies inexplicably i can't wait to talk about that situation (laughs) i i'm anticipating that this is the darkest movie you've made me watch it is yeah, it's not light. Um, <laughs> in terms of content, not like actual. It is both like uh, visually dark and um, thematically dark um, in a lot of different ways. I, and I, I've had a lot of like murder movies and like cla- I'm like trying to introduce you to like more horror stuff. I wouldn't say it's like a horror movie, but this is some of the most gruesome scenes out of any movie I'll make you watch. And I'll explain the time I accidentally watched the Swedish version. Um, oh, nice. you'll get it later. No, I've almost watched that one multiple times as well. Um, Don't do it. <laughs> okay. Have you? Yeah, okay. On like a scale of like fine to the box cutter scene in Gone Girl, does anything eclipse that? It's just different. Like, you don't have to include... <laughs> like, I don't know how... Like, there's just, like... I don't want to ruin anything. So, it's Okay, it's okay. Just, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll save it for the pod. Yeah. Well, besides that, <laughs> what is on your watch list? 
motherfucking Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Um, we're like a week away from just hearing Tom Cruise in a jet, Tom Cruise on a motorcycle, hearing Danger Zone, hearing the... I can't wait for like the second best volleyball scene in cinematic history, hopefully. Um, so that's one of them. Another one on my watch list is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum is Sense and Sensibility. Mm, that's a nice one. Uh, yeah. Jane Austen adaptation, Emma Thompson, you know, just her good things. And then lastly, um, Cutting Edge, another 1992 movie um, with the woman who plays Lucas Scott's mom in One Tree Hill. Nice. Love One Tree Hill. Um, Cutting Edge, famous movie, but that's what I know about it. Nice. Something about a toe pick. Sure. What about you? Never heard of it. Um, I have been so like overwhelmingly busy lately. I have not gotten to see The Northman, which I know is on my watch list last time. <laughs> but <laughs> I will get to it by the time this episode gets out. I promise. Um, another really good one that I'm excited for is coming out next week or this week, somewhere in there, is... Um, Alex Garland's men love Alex Garland. Mm. He can do no wrong in my eyes. So I've got like two big directors. I really like who just came out with new movies. Jesse Bucks. Yes. Jesse, Jesse Buckley is in that movie. I've heard it's like, people are really liking it. So I'm excited. Um, I'm also excited to see Top Gun. Uh, it'll be great. Yeah. We can go on a Tom Cruise conversation another time. He's also a Glenn Powell conversation. He's coming up in uh, future episodes. Don't worry, guys. Um, And then (laughs) this was a movie I put on my to watch list literally months ago. And I said, I have to watch it by the end of the month because it's going to be taken off of HBO Max. And it was. And and guess where it is back? I was back on HBO Max. I need to watch The Fugitive. <laughs> oh, dude, you're going to love that movie. I know. I know. <laughs> I just need to stop watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> start watching The Fugitive. So <laughs> someone text me and <laughs> make sure I've seen The Fugitive. By the time this episode comes out, I got a couple of weeks. But um, I like oh, saw Lord. it back on HBO Max the other day. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Add back to my queue. <laughs> <laughs> If somehow inexplicably you don't get to this movie, we can do like chase movies and we'll watch The Fugitive. I'll have to find something where someone chases someone. We'll figure it out, but it'll be good. Yeah, The Fugitive. Um, So that's what we're watching. And we're also watching Rush Hour and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. We are so excited for those. Hope you guys had a good time. I hope you I I had a lot of fun recording this podcast. So I hope you had a lot of fun listening to it. (laughs) Hey, this podcast was very it was very. It always is very. We're very. Uh, yeah, we are very. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can always find a new episode of this show the second Tuesday of the month. Let us know any sort of bonus episodes you'd like us to do. We'd love to create some more content for you guys. Um, follow the pod on Instagram at blindspotterspod. Doing lots of polls, doing lots of fun visual things. And um, we're also on Twitter at blindspotters. Um, Zach, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Zach Pocklub, and you can find me on Letterboxd. What about you, Amanda? You can find me on all socials to send me any compliments at Amanda Luberto. Thank you guys so much. We will see you soon. Bye. (laughs) I like watching you come up with it in real time. (laughs) Amanda, alternatively, great podcast, but I got a motor. (laughs) 